Hello, I'm Ken Bruce. I appeared as a guest on My Time Capsule, and after that I had to give up a job I'd had for 46 years. <sighs> anyway, they want me to tell you that they've started a thing called Acast Plus, where for a small monthly fee you can get the podcast ad-free. For me, I think the ad's are the best thing in it. That Fenton Stevens, he does drone on a bit. Anyway, whatever you like, do something and have a go at it. ACAS Plus, my time capsule. Thanks, Ken. Charming. Anyway, to get my time capsule ad-free and for a bonus my time capsule, the debrief episode every week, subscribe to ACAS Plus. Details in the description of this episode. Thanks. Bloody Ken Bruce, what a cheek. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is the podcast where people choose five things from any time in their life, of any size or nature, that they wish they still had preserved in a time capsule. They pick four things that they would like to see again, or if they still have it, kept safe, and one thing that they regret or dislike from their past something they wish they could bury and forget. And one at a time, we chat about their choices. Good idea, do you think? Well, in that case, keep listening. My guest in this episode is the comedian, actor, singer, musician, writer, didgeridooist, but most notably magician, John Archer. John is a past winner of the Magic Circle Stage Magician of the Year competition, and in 2019 was a highly memorable semi-finalist on Britain's Got Talent. He is that very rare thing, a member of the Inner Magic Circle with Gold Star. John was a police officer in Cleveland Constabulary for 10 years, until 1996, after which he began entertaining full-time. He appeared on the ITV show Penn and Teller Fool Us, hosted by Jonathan Ross, where magicians from Great Britain and around the world attempted to trick the magic greats Penn and Teller. If they did, the prize was to open their show at the Rio Casino in Las Vegas. John was the first magician on the programme to successfully fool Penn and Teller. John has written for many TV shows, such as the BAFTA winning The Sketch Show, and has appeared on such programmes as Help, My Supply Teacher is Magic, another BAFTA winner, Undercover Magic on Sky, The Impressionable John Coleshaw, Give Us a Clue, Tim Vine Travels in Time, and Not Going Out. John performs all over the country and regularly supports Tim Vine on tour. In fact, they're touring together this year. He also writes with Tim on various TV projects. So let's find out what this delightful and talented man is going to choose to have in his time capsule and if it's possible to do magic on an audio-only podcast. I very much doubt it. Have fun. How are you doing? I'm very good, very good. Whereabouts are you in the country? I'm actually in Scarborough now. We moved. Oh, how lovely. Yeah, we moved. I say we moved. My wife moved in November. I was in pantomime. Oh, yeah. So so, <laughs> so, so it was like I was just from rehearsals ringing her up saying, how's it going? And, <laughs> and she was swearing down the phone at me. So Yeah, I've been through yeah. that myself. Yeah, she's almost forgiven me. So I've been here since January. Nice place to be, though, Scarborough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's lovely. And we were in Stockton Tees. I and that's where I've lived all my life. Mm. Uh, so we haven't moved far, it's just a little bit south. But my daughter's here, so, you know, it just made sense, really. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it, to be near people? Yeah, near somebody. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, so um, how lovely of you to do this for me, John. It's all right. I've listened to a few. I really, I really enjoy them, actually. I've been oh, listening lovely. to them while I've been driving to my gigs and things, yeah. Mm. You were suggested by listeners. Ah. They said, why don't you get John Archer on? And I said, actually, yeah, that's a very good idea. Oh, did you really say who? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I know your work. Oh, good. But it hadn't occurred to me because I thought to myself, well, this isn't a visual art form, what we're doing. This is audio. Yeah, that's right. So you were all about magic, really. Yeah, everything I do is visual. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be hopeless, this, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be me saying, oh, that's clever. Oh, my God, yeah. where did that come from? It just... <laughs> Actually, I'm quite pleased because quite often I do these video podcasts and people say, can you do a trick? And I, I mean, all my stuff is like stage stuff that's like 10-minute routines. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I can vanish a coin or do something, but, you know, it's like during lockdown, I just couldn't do those virtual magic shows that a lot of magicians were doing. I tried one and I just I just lost heart. I felt like I was in a call centre. You need people to be astonished in front of you, don't you? Yeah, and especially when you're doing comedy with the magic, you just want that instant reaction. I mean, you know, laughter's nice over the screen, but it's so much better when you feel it. So. Yeah, although you have got the most amazing list of things. Now, when we did this, obviously I did that sort of let's Google, and I went, my God, the awards you've received for your magic have been amazing. Yeah. And you're in the inner circle of the magic circle, aren't you? I am, yeah. Yeah, sort of. Uh, yeah, I got that uh, quite a while ago. It was quite a surprise. I was just I was performing at the Magic Circle dinner and the, the president just awarded me with it. It is quite unique. I mean, it's a bit... It's hard to understand for non-magicians because, you know, this idea of the magic circle and then the inner magic circle with gold star, and people think it's something mysterious, and it's a different coloured badge at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, there's nothing weird that goes on within it all. You want to watch out when magicians, if they do those strange handshakes, because <laughs> your wallet's going to go missing. Yeah, 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 we should have a strange handshake, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it is quite unique. I think there's about 300 in the world who are classed as inner magic circle members. So, wow, that's um, amazing, then, John. Yeah, so so it does. It does. Yeah, it was it was an honour. Yeah, but equally, there are some brilliant magicians out there who aren't members of the inner magic circle. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you've got to keep everything in perspective and re, you know not think, oh, this means I'm fantastic. It doesn't. It just means you've been granted it. You know, and circumstances have come around and people have noticed you, but. I often think that in showbiz, you know, there's so many brilliant acts out there, mm. you know, variety and comedy acts, and, and some of them never get any recognition, but they're working solidly for the whole of their lives, yeah. getting great responses from audiences and never really heard of. I do pantomime every year. Well, I have done for a few years. Actually, I haven't done it for a, the last couple of years because I just feel a bit tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I did it for the first time this year for a, a, a while and I was exhausted oh, at the end of it. It's, it's, it's tiring, isn't it? It really is hard work, yeah. Yeah. But the bloke I do it with, I think that he's one of the best pantomime performers I've ever seen. Right, who's that? His name is Tom Swift. All right. And he does it down in Tunbridge in Kent. He's extraordinarily good at it, and the audience that come to see him love him. But it's only a small venue. He can't yeah. really make the big money. And I've never understood why one of the big theatres and one of the big production houses haven't gone, this lad is brilliant. Yeah, it, it's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, sometimes it's not just talent. It's been in the right place at the right time. And also, sometimes it's a bit of exposure. Sometimes they just want a name that is recognised on the poster. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit fickle, but it's sort of, I suppose that's what people buy tickets for. They go, oh, we've heard of them. I wonder what they're like. Mm-hmm. I think I probably got pantomime this last year because of Britain's Got Talent that I did in 2019 and then lockdown and everything happened and suddenly I got a call last year about pantomime and I think it was probably because of that because suddenly I've got a little bit more recognition because of that. Yeah. 
Did you do it for that reason, John? Did you think to yourself, well, I've seen other people go on this and use it as a showcase? Um, it's very difficult to say why I did it. My belief of why I did it, because mm. I'm not really sure, I think <laughs> I did it really to prove to myself I could do it and not to run away because I'd had the call a few times and the email saying, would you like to audition for Britain's Got Talent? Would you like to come on? Mm. And I turned it down mainly because I was frightened of failing. You know, I was frightened of going on there and, and getting the buzzers. And then I, I, I did notice a change in Britain's Got Talent over the last few years. They've, they've been less um, nasty with acts. That yeah. have definitely changed. Now the booing happens to the judges rather than to the acts, which I think is a healthy way of doing it. Yeah, And I think that's because of mental health issues for all of the people who are competing and everything else. So I'd seen that change. But I also just thought to myself... I've got two options, either I run away or I, I don't. And I thought, mm. you know, that whole thing of facing your fears. So it was a bit of that of just sort of saying, don't run away, you know, to be brave and do something that frightens you. Yeah, it's how you regard yourself sometimes in these situations, isn't it? Did you think of yourself as being like those people you described earlier, that you had great recognition amongst peers, but nobody really gave you the recognition that you deserved. I think there was a bit of that as well, of sort of proving to myself that I could go in front of, you know, Simon Cowell and David Williams and Alicia and everybody, and, and I could go on in front of them and prove it. And also, you know, in front of a big crowd. And a big telly audience as well. Yeah, the auditions weren't live, but it was at the Palladium, you know, and mm. it was full. And so, and I performed big theatres, so that wasn't so much, but it was just proving to myself that I could sort of stand alongside all those other people who'd done it and come out. And I wasn't sure if I would. Tiny little thing can happen and suddenly the judges lose interest in you. So Yeah, for the first time in your life, an act suddenly goes wrong. Yeah, so something goes wrong, especially especially with, you know, comedy and magic, a, li mm. a line that, that hits every night. Suddenly you just get the timing of it wrong or you get a heckle just in the middle of the punchline and lots of things can throw it. So it was scary, but I, lo I love doing it. I had an absolutely great time. I'm really glad I did it. I know David a bit, and I've, I know Amanda from way back, and I think they're really nice people. Yeah. I can't imagine. Do you know what? David was out of the four of them. I mean, they were all sweet, but mm. David was absolutely magnificent with me. He was so kind. He, he sent me a text afterwards saying he thought I was really funny. I had funny bones. When I was doing the the live semi-final at the Apollo, the little bit where you... Um, they're showing the VT, and while they're showing them, because it's live, they're showing the VT, and you're getting set up on stage ready for Ant and Deck to introduce you after the VT. And as yeah. I'm setting up, you know, I mean, the other judges were sort of having the makeup done or, you know, checking the mobile phones or whatever. <laughs> but David Williams, bless his cotton socks, he was looking at me and he was giving me the thumbs up and fingers crossed. Brilliant. And, you know, he, he was really rooting for me. And he didn't have to do that. He could have, you know, he could have just, you know, had a look round and checked. But it, I really felt like he, you know, he cared about me, and it's a shame that you know some of these things have happened, and he's not going to be on the show anymore. Because I think yeah, he was I a, think it is. I, and he was a lovely, lovely character, and we're, you know we all say stupid things when the cameras are off. But I'm sad he's gone. Sometimes in comedy, you deliberately say shocking things because shocking is funny. Sometimes you know yeah. it jerks people. I've got a friend who's just finished filming with him, and the thing took much longer than it should have done because he was constantly stopping to go and do things for kids. So yeah, yeah. they were filming one day opposite a school and he said, we're going to have to stop for a bit and I'm going to go over. And he went over and spoke to them all in the hall and he gave them all free books and he signed them all and he read extracts from it. And this was not organised right in the middle of filming. So he's extremely kind in that way. 
Yeah, yeah. Like I said, my, my opinion of him is very, very high. I, I didn't have any negative stuff. Yeah, great guy. Well done. Well done for having the courage to do it, because as you say, you are in a professional situation. You're risking things. So well done for having the courage. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, I'm, like I said, really glad I did it. And, mm. uh, and I think, you know, it's probably done me a little bit of good. In the long run. Yeah, got panto from it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I probably did. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, well, let's talk about the things you've chosen to put into a time capsule. Yes. Now, wh- where are we starting? What do you want? Shall we get the bad thing out of the way? Shall we get rid of the thing I never want to see again? That's a very good idea. Get rid of it, and then we can have fun. Okay, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what this is. Um, not many things trouble me in life, but I, I was a police officer for 10 years, Mm. And most of that time in the place, I enjoyed, and it was good. But one thing I hated doing was giving death messages. Oh. And I, it's still something I think, there's still certain ones I can remember, the details and the people and and the situation. And I just think I'd love to wipe them from my memory and yeah. have, you know. Oh, I bet, um, yeah. It's strange you don't think about the police having to do that regularly, and yet they do, don't they? To do I mean, um, at the moment, the police are getting a tough time, and, and rightly so for the things that have been done wrong. But my experience of the police, I mean, it's 27 years since I left the police force. I did 10 years in it. And my experience was, I would say, 95% of the police officers I worked with were in there for the right reasons. They were, mm. they were tried, they were, you know, they tried to do good and lock up the baddies and look after the goodies and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But there, there were some bad ones. And, and depending on the police forces you went to, some were definitely worse than others. But um, the vast majority were trying to do the good thing. And they do deal with some horrific stuff. You know, they're picking dead bodies up off the road and they're going to tell grandparents that they've lost the grandchildren and all sorts of horrible things. Mm. And never really, rarely are involved in good news. Uh. They're either going to tell somebody you've been burgled and all your stuff's been stolen, or they're going to see somebody and say, you're under arrest because you've done this. Mm. I got told the reason why police often got the nickname Pigs was because it was a judge who once said at a case, the police are piggy in the middle in this case. Right. Uh, and it's true. You sort of, the police are piggy in the middle because the criminals don't like them because you are after us and locking us up. And, and the the law-abiding citizens get angry with the police because they're not catching the people or they're not doing the... So the, mm. the, the police are in this awkward position where nobody really sees them as the hero they should be. When I was young, a policeman was somebody absolutely you could rely on. Yeah. I knew as a boy that if I was in trouble or needed somebody, if a policeman was there, I'd be okay. Yeah. And that's almost certainly still true. But as with all these professions, all the professions like scoutmasters, teachers, coaches that have been blackened by a few terrible people. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, when you look at some of the cases that are in use lately about police officers, what they've done, mm. all the stuff that's been said is true and right. But you know, it's, it's very dangerous if we lose sight of the core and we actually distance them from us as well as everybody else. Mm. I hadn't really thought about it, John, when you talked about having to give bad news to people. But in fact, even when you're giving people good news, even when the news is, we've caught the man. Yeah. That is often, we've caught the man who drove badly and caused that accident. And so you're giving good news about something that is a terrible thing in the first place. Yeah, it is a very hard job. I, I had a lot of good times, a lot of, you know, there was camaraderie and, you know, 
being an entertainer is very a, a lonesome thing. You're just travelling from gig to gig, and mm. now and again you get it with a little gang for a short while in a in a show. But police was very much a, a happy time from that group point of view, from that mm. camaraderie thing. But I don't miss the job at all. I wouldn't want to do it. My son has just joined, actually. And, uh, you know, I said to him, I said, you've just joined a job that's, you know, it's going to be very taxing and you've got to sort of step up to the mark and you've got to be squeaky clean and whiter than white. And, you know, you've just not got to sort of align yourself with anything that's going wrong in that job. You've got to be brave and speak out. And, I, you know, he's a good lad and he will do that. Yeah. When I was in, we had a little bit of officer's discretion. I think that's going a little bit now because it's too dangerous for an officer to have discretion because they could get criticised for not doing it. So if I, you know, when I was in, if I saw somebody dropping litter, you know, I could say pick that up, put it in the bin and give them a warning. Now you sort of get the feeling that I'm sure there is still a little bit of discretion, but, but, but on anything that's of any major importance, I don't think they can afford to be the judge and jury. They are literally just... No, absolutely. If you say to somebody, Oi, you're looking a bit drunk, time to go home, mate. And you yeah. just, you let them go rather than yeah. arrest them for being drunk and disorderly. And then you discover that that person has later on that evening committed a crime. You're going to be in trouble, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. We read about that sort of thing happening all the time, don't we? Mm. Where somebody was stopped by the police or spoken to and yeah. uh, not enough action was taken. And as a result, something horrific happens. Yes, yeah, it's difficult. Well, I look forward to the time when all those jobs are shown the respect that they once had. In a way, you have to earn that. Yeah, it, it, it is hard. But like, like you say, it has to be earned. But I think all this stuff coming out in the long run will be a good thing because it will it will improve the force. You know, the, yeah. you can't call it a force anymore. You have to call it a service, don't you? So, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, ho- hopefully, you know, hopefully things will improve. I'm sure it? they will. I still think we have, you know, one of the better police forces in the world, police services in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're right. I think it will get better, John. I think we have to get back to a situation where the police are respected yeah, because they do a good job. And I think yeah. that everybody who joins the police force, that's why they join. You would hope so, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. and you'd hope that the same would also become true of politicians. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's, that's another batch we can't get into. I think they are. I'm not sure whether it's capable of saving them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pushing it too far, I might. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, well, well, I hope that I can put into the time capsule what must be awful memories for you, John. Yeah, yeah. You have my admiration for having done it, but I'm, I bet you're glad it's over. And I as am, far as I'm yeah. concerned, that's the end of them. We'll put it in there and you can forget it. Good, we're shutting the lid. Yeah. Gone. Hey. Good, good, good. Brilliant. Well, let's move on to some happier things. All right. Well, um, so let's go with ukuleles. Right. Do you play the ukulele? I do I play the ukulele. I've got several of them. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I love the ukulele. George Harrison said that there would be no wars in the world if everybody played the ukulele. (laughs) And I sort of understand what he means. It's a very happy instrument. It's a very easy instrument to play. And it's difficult not to pick up a ukulele and strum away at one and not have a smile on your face. It's sort mm-hmm. of, it's, it's a silly little instrument, you know, it's almost <laughs> comedic. So I would, I would like to put ukuleles in there, really. Almost every song played on a ukulele sounds jolly, doesn't it? It, it does sound jolly, yeah. And of course, there's so much, there's sort of the George Formby banjo ukulele stuff, and mm-hmm. then of course the Hawaiian ukulele and everything in between. And so much, so many different forms of music with it. I started playing guitar when I was about eight, mm-hmm. Uh, and I played guitar all my life. And then as my two sons, I've got a daughter and two sons, my two sons grew up and took 
the guitar up and sort of my guitar migrated from my room to their room and eventually vanished and uh, <laughs> and for for a while I didn't play anything I saw I could play guitar but I didn't have one and then I watched a thing on YouTube which is Joe Brown at the Royal Albert Hall and he's he's playing a song called I'll see you in my dreams and mm. it's a, it's a tribute it's the tribute to George Harrison and uh, all the great and good from the rock and roll world are there playing in yeah. this big band. But he just sits, well, he doesn't sit, he stands uh, with his little ukulele and he prays, I'll see you in my dreams. And I watched it and he, saw, he plays it and the band joined in with him eventually. All these rose petals are falling from the ceiling oh. of the Royal Albert Hall. It's the end of the concert. It's absolutely gorgeous. And he plays the ukulele really well. Joe Brown, mm. and I watched it, and that was the first time in my life, I think, that I'd seen a little guitar ukulele, not a banjo ukulele, I'd seen George Volby play that, but a, a, the guitar style. Yeah. It was the first time I'd seen it played so beautifully and musically, and I think I mentioned either to my wife or one of my kids, I said, I wouldn't mind playing the ukulele. Mm. And that Christmas, <laughs> my kids all chipped in and bought me that first ukulele. <laughs> yeah, and I've had I'm a great fun. I do little bits in my act, little two-line comedy songs in my act with it now and again. And <laughs> yeah, I think it's a beautiful instrument. And I think I think everybody should have a go because you you really can learn to play the ukulele in you know a few weeks if, mm. if you if you just give it a try every day. The the replace the recorder in schools now with the ukulele. Thank God for that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it's a cooler instrument for kids to want to play. It looks like a guitar. They think yeah. oh, I played, you know, and would lead to the guitar probably. I know it's got fewer strings. Yeah, but- yeah, yeah. It's it's really quick and easy. It's accessible as well. You, it's so small. You can just, you know you can easily you know carry it around and. Mm. You know, I've got one here. There's one there. There's a few behind me, but oh well, that's there. a gorgeous yeah. one. Yeah, this is a little. Um, it's um, a resonator ukulele. So oh, that's gorgeous! Yeah, a bit like a bit like a an old Dobro, you know, or a national yeah. guitar. Yeah, so it has a has a bit of a banjo sound. Yeah. Oh. yeah Love Can you play? I'll see you in my dreams. Do you know what? I don't know that one. I'll give you a little bit. How about this? See if you recognise this one. The sun is out, sky is blue, not a cloud to spoil the view, and it's raining, raining in my heart. Lovely. Lovely little instrument, isn't it, the ukulele? It's gorgeous, yeah. Yeah. That's really yeah. nice. What a lovely song that is. Yeah, it isn't is Isn't that nice, amazing? But... What would Buddy Holly have written? My word. Oh, he yeah, I'm a big Buddy Holly fan. Actually, I I have a little on the side. Uh, this wasn't any of the things I was going to talk about, but on the side, I have a little trio called Big Buddy Holly and the Croquettes. Yeah, you've performed that with Tim Vine, haven't you? Yeah, he... yeah. I support I supported Tim when he did the Plastic Elvis um, <laughs> thing. I was Big Buddy Holly, and uh, so, so as a result, I spent a lot of time listening to all of Buddy Holly stuff and the amount of songs that he wrote in literally you know two or three years. Mm. Unbelievable, amazing, and, uh, yeah, and and influenced so many people. Uh, originally, uh, the crickets were going to call themselves the Beatles. No, uh, 
with yeah B double E T L. They were going right, to be double yeah. E double E Beatles. They mm. never did. They called themselves the uh, the Crickets. But then when the Beatles were coming around, the Beatles were massively influenced by Buddy Holly and, and the, cro- uh, the Crickets. I keep saying the Crockettes. By, <laughs> and their, the first song they recorded was um, That'll Be The Day. Mm-hmm. And they called themselves the Beatles because I, I believe they knew that the Crickets originally were going to be the Beatles, but didn't yeah. do it. And the Rolling Stones, so, much, so many of them sort of modern, I say modern, they're not modern anymore, but they were modern in my time. <laughs> so, so many of the sort of, you know, the... 70s and 80s rock bands were influenced mm. by Buddy Holly. He well, it's that uh, thing of having the nerve of writing, you know, oh boy, rock and roll, you know, all those sort of songs. Yeah. But when they went slow, you can see why Paul McCartney wrote Yesterday. Yeah. It comes directly from it, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. There's, there's still that same that, that same sort of feel and the, similar chord structures and stuff. Mm. Well, you tempt me. You tempt me now to actually learn to play something. I've spent my life sort of fiddling around with musical instruments. And I've got a ukulele in this house. I think I may even have two. Yeah, well, if you've, if you've got a ukulele, just it's so easy to learn now online with, you know, just go on YouTube. There's so many tutorial videos where, where you, can, you can just learn a simple song. And if you've got, once you've got three chords, there's a host of songs you can play. And then yeah. you can add a fourth and a fifth. And you don't have to do any fancy finger picking; just a nice, simple, straight strum. Mm-hmm. Sing along. Doesn't have to be anybody listening. You'll, I'll guarantee, it'll put a smile on your face. It'll make you feel good when you're worried about anything. Just go pick a ukulele up. <laughs> there we are. We've solved the world's problems. As <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>, we do. <laughs> okay, that goes in. We're putting a ukulele, your ukulele, into the time capsule. So, what's next? What a lovely man John is. Okay, time for an ad break, unless you're an Acast Plus listener, in which case you get this podcast ad-free. Details of how to subscribe for a very small fee can be found in the description of this episode. We'll be back soon, or for Acast Plus listeners, sooner. Cheers. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. And we're back with part two of my time capsule with the comedy magician John Archer. Let's find out what else he would like to preserve in his time capsule. Next, I'm going to put laughter in there. Lovely. Yeah, because I am, obviously as a comedian, I I do it for for laughter, but I I just think laughter is such an important thing in lives. During lockdown, I saw, I was missing performing and I, I tried to work out why I was missing it. And I realised, I'll get emotional if I'm not careful. I I realised what I was missing was just hearing people laugh. Excuse me. Hearing people laugh and knowing that I'd done that mm. and knowing what it meant to them to have that. Because it... Uh, when you go to a night and you laugh for two hours, hmm. what happens, it's you stop thinking about things. You stop thinking when you're laughing. 
And it's like it's been proved to be healing. It's respite. It just takes people away from all of their worries. It's up there with the ukulele. (laughs) (laughs) It takes people away from their worries and their cares and their problems and their issues. You know, when I, when I, I look at an audience, and I've talked to Tim about this as well, Tim Vine, who's you mentioned earlier, he's my mm. best friend. Mm. Uh, I've toured with Tim for 15 years, you know, supporting him, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. <laughs> um, and we've talked about the fact that, you know, you look out at an audience and there'll, there'll be somebody out there who's just lost a loved one. There'll be somebody else who's been told they may have an incurable disease. There's, you know, there's somebody who's heartbreak because their relationship's broken up. And if we do our job right, we just give them a bit of respite from that. It's fantastic. And mm. Not only that, John, I think that sometimes that laughter can clear those problems. Yeah. Afterwards, having laughed, you see them more clearly and you can cope with them. Yeah, it puts things in perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. And I love it. I also love my favourite thing. I haven't done it for a while. My favourite thing is when you get to that state of uncontrollable laughter. Do you know that? <laughs> I do, You know yeah. that thing? It normally happens with your mates <laughs> where where you start laughing and then you're just laughing at the fact that you're laughing yeah. and you can't stop. <laughs> me, 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 me and Tim have a little phrase he sometimes says to me. There was once I was working with a – well, we were working with a TV producer called Richard Hersey. I don't know if you ever knew Richard Hersey, but Richard was um, working with us on some TV show. And me and Richard started laughing at something. I can't remember where it was. And we were uncontrollably laughing. And <laughs> Tim sort of was watching this at a slight distance, not really knowing what we were laughing at. And when it had all finished, Tim said to me, you never laugh like that with me, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a really funny joke, you know. Yeah. But every every now and again when we're laughing at something, or I'm laughing or he's laughing, we look at each other and you go, you never laugh like that with me. Um, <laughs> but there is something very, very special about laughing with someone. Yeah. And so, sometimes you have certain people who you don't have to say very much and you just laugh with each other. It's funny, isn't it, how you can have certain almost laughter connections with people that, mm. you know, you laugh so much more when you're with them, not necessarily that anything's any funnier, no. But you just you just laugh more with them, with those people. I laugh a lot with Tim. I laugh, you know. I've got certain friends who I just know that when I'm with them, I'll just laugh a lot. Some people are more willing to laugh. Do you know what I mean? That's true. Yeah, yeah. And I think you can get out of the habit if you're not careful. You can yeah, sort yeah. of. Well, you know, we're you get, all told uh, when we're teenagers, you know, stop messing about. Yeah. You know, oh, stop giggling at the back. Yeah. Be serious. Life is serious. You've got to take yeah. it seriously. And I think a lot of people train themselves to take everything seriously. Yeah, uh, even comedy, they can they can go. Mm, yeah, no, very good. Yes, yeah. And you think, yeah. no, no, just yeah. laugh. Yeah, yeah. No, it, the worst thing in the world is when you're at some sort of writers' meeting or you know a production meeting, and you're looking at a script you've written, it and they start analysing the jokes, and, <laughs> and, and and suddenly what you thought was funny just stops being funny. Yeah, you shouldn't analyse it too much. Just no. enjoy it. But yeah. laughter, it's a fantastically infectious thing, though. That's what you need to bring them round, I think, is if you, you just show them one of those sort of YouTube videos of a little baby laughing. When you see a tiny child really belly laughing, yeah, it's unbelievably funny. Yeah. No, we've just got uh, had another grandchild who's probably about five months old now, and he's just, over the last few months, 
starting to laugh a lot. <laughs> but but he laughs more than any baby I've known. You just sort of look at him and go, hello, and he just laughs. He sits. <laughs> he will sit on his own in his little chair and nobody's talking to him. And you'll just see him start chuckling and laughing to himself. And we go, what's he laughing at? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I knew what a five-month-old baby finds funny. But, yeah. but it, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Oh, you hope they never lose it. You really yeah, do. Yeah. And because actually children, that's why children love being tickled. Yeah. They love to laugh, children. Yeah. I think it's one of the things that makes us human. I remember Jeremy Vine sort of doing a series on his radio show about what makes us human. Mm. Uh, and I think, la- I-, I know they have said that other, you know, other creatures do have a sense of humour and do laugh, but there's something very human about laughter that, for me, doesn't feel like any other creature properly has a grasp of. No, um, and you're, you're right that that group laughter as well is an amazing thing, mm. isn't it? That actually the laughter of a few people encourages all the rest of the people. Yeah. The laughter makes you laugh. Yeah, that's right. That's why, if, you know, a comic goes into a venue and they look at the venue and it's a high ceiling and the audience is spread out, mm. the comic will go, can we bring them closer together? Can yeah, we bring yeah, them more yeah. to the front? You know, yeah. everything's just to, you know, bring the ceiling down so that people hear each other because mm. it's, it's all about hearing the person next to you laugh. Yeah, because some audience members, they react as if they need permission. It's why, you, do, you know, you don't see outdoor comedy festivals. Mm. They just don't exist. The ceiling's too high, you know. It's, oh, my um, God, imagine those people, those poor comedians who had to do that during lockdown, did those gigs where people were sitting in their cars. Oh, yeah, yeah, hard work. Impossible. Yeah. If you think it's funny, toot your horn. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that idea. <laughs> funny to watch, yeah, but not funny to be part of. No. Well, laughter is a wonderful thing to put in there. And the great thing is that there are times in all our lives where what we really need is some laughter. Yeah. And you've got it. You've got it in your time capsule. Excellent. Break it open and uh, it'll go four out at you. <sighs> I'm glad that's in that. Good. Right, let's put um, – I'm going to put movies in next. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of movies. It, uh, most – Days, if I can, I will end the day trying to watch a, a movie late at night. My wife is a bit of an early bird um, because I'm an entertainer. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, entertainers never go to bed early. They're always, you know, finishing a gig and then full of adrenaline, awake. So I, I often watch a movie, but I, but I love. I love a good movie. I love a, I love a movie where I can become absorbed in it. So I forget what's around me, and mm. I feel like I'm I'm in that. And uh, when my kids were growing up, we used to do things called uh, family nights. When the kids were really young, we had a guy from a charity come to speak to us. Care for the family was the charity, and they came and did a. It was sort of a parenting seminar, for for once of a better word, I suppose. And one of the things they suggested was these family nights which were great for me because I was away a lot when my kids were growing up, once I left the police. Uh, but family nights were this thing where we used to bring the mattresses downstairs into the <laughs> living room, yeah. the kids' mattresses. We'd bring a couple of mattresses down. We'd buy lots of pop and sweets, and there was no rules about how much you ate. The, the phone got taken off the hook, and we, we would you know go to Blockbuster, as it was then, and we would ha- <laughs> yeah. we'd hire a few films, and we'd all watch movies together, you know, me and the three kids and wife and three kids, and we'd, we'd sort of watch these all under duvets and fall asleep. <laughs> you know, watching these things. And eventually sort of, you know, 
early hours of the morning, they'd decide they wanted to go back up to the bedrooms. And But it was just, it was very, very special for me. And I think my, all, all three of my kids now have a love of movies because of that, because it was something that we did as regularly as we could. And it's certainly something I tried to do whenever I was home. I, I'd get home and the kids would say, oh, we're having a family night, Dad. Yeah, we're having one. Mm. And even now, if we get together, and my kids are all, you know, grown up with kids of their own, if we get together as a family, we'll still say, should we have a family night? And <laughs> it, it, it isn't sweets and pop and blockbuster. It's, you know, it's putting something on Netflix and ordering a curry or whatever. Yeah. But we we sit and it's, you know, it's been a mainstay of sort of our family knife with these family nights and just getting engrossed in a movie. I think, you know, I'm, I'm not a massive reader. I'm not particularly proud of that. I, I should read more, but I do love a good movie that just tells a great story and, takes you somewhere and, you know. Mm. Don't knock yourself for being a, a not a great reader because thinking of your job, you must have spent yeah. so many hours of your life just perfecting your skills. Yeah, I say I'm not a great reader. I mean, if you look behind me, there's... There's, there's books hundreds, everywhere. There's hundreds of books. Yeah. I, I, I am a great reader. I'm not a reader of fiction. Ah, uh, right, yeah. You know, I read books on how to do things or mm-hmm. books on, you know, learning stuff. But I, I, I don't read novels, really. I've, I've always liked the movie way of, of, of letting somebody else create all that imagery for me. And- so you're not a great critic of movies because I'm the sort of person who can watch a movie and actually it can be pretty crap, actually. I'll even watch those, you know, around Christmas, I'll watch those Channel 5 afternoon movies where you know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Somebody comes in and you know they're going to fall in love and then they're going to get what they want and Father Christmas will probably appear to the children at the end. Yeah. I, I watch those perfectly happily. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not a very, very harsh critic. If I start watching a film and I get 10 or 15 minutes in and I think I'm not into this, I will turn it off and scroll on and try and find another film. But mm. the main thing I want from a film is I'm not bothered about special effects and amazing things. I want a well told story mm-hmm. i want a story that's acted well only the other week i was staying with tim's down in london and we um we'd been to see a movie at the cinema i'm trying to think of the film anyway who shot liberty valance was mentioned in this movie right and tim said i've ever watched that i said i'm not sure if i have mm-hmm. i said and so we went back to his and we f- we found it on some streaming media and we watched who shot liberty valance Great film. It's difficult know. as well, isn't it? Because there's a world of films out there. There's a history of films. Yeah. And there's so many that go way back. You could spend your life watching old films, but actually every now and again you'll find a new film, I think. And there are still some really wonderful films being made. Yeah. I do like feel-good movies. I love movies that make me laugh and cry. Afterlife. I loved Afterlife. I mean, mm. I, Ricky Gervais, bless his cotton socks, is an atheist, and I, I have a faith, but... And I watched that, which is really, you know, very much a, an atheist view thing. Mm. But I still, I still loved it. I still thought it was absolutely brilliant. It's just the humanity in it, and you know, the. Well, despite being an atheist, he allows the other arguments to be made, doesn't he? Yes, but I mean, that was. I mean, it's not a movie, but I'd like to watch movies that have that thing about them, where you can, you can be laughing one minute and mm-hmm. you can be. It tears almost immediately afterwards. I love ones that make you feel and make you think. Because if you're feeling something, it's because you're thinking something. It's because you either empathise with them or you vehemently disagree with something that's been done, you're angry about it. Mm-hmm. So I like I like films that, that make me question things and reveal things about myself. Yeah, but Afterlife was great. I loved it. Great stuff, yeah. 
Well, I'm going to put movies in for you then, and you can have a whole bank of them in there. <laughs> Just choose anything you like. Jolly good. So we're nearly there, sadly. We are. It's my last one. Yeah. My last one is, is another. It's um, a bit ethereal. Forgiveness is my last one. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I, I um. Not just on a spiritual realm, but on a human level, I just think forgiveness is just such a fantastic thing. Mm -hmm. To do it, and it feels great when you can manage to do it, it's difficult, it's not an easy thing. And obviously forgiveness doesn't mean that you negate any responsibility or punishment or anything else. It doesn't mean justice doesn't get thrown out the window, but, but just that feeling of this has happened and I'm willing to forgive that person. You do hear that everybody who is able to do that benefits from it and also being forgiven as um, well i mean i've done a you know i've cocked up millions of times in my life haven't we all and being forgiven more than i should be and that as well is amazing to you know to think you know i did this i got this wrong and they've moved on from it yeah it's hard to believe isn't it because i can remember occasions where i saw people who i care for but they're they're torn apart by something that happened a long time ago and they've never been able to let it go. Yeah. And just saying, okay, I forget it. I forgive you. Yeah, yeah. Life has to go on, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think the hardest thing, funnily enough, is forgiving yourself right. for things. Um, that, that's probably, you know, forgiving other people. Sometimes I can do reasonably easy for most things. I can forgive people. We all mess up. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, sometimes forgiving yourself and thinking, I wish I hadn't done that, you know. Yeah. From the smallest to the biggest things, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's sometimes you let them rattle around in your head for too long. But it, it is a wonderful thing if it can be done. Yeah, it's easier to forgive yourself if you've already been forgiven, I think. Yeah, I think that helps. Mm. I think that helps that, you you know, you, you you feel less like you've hurt people if, if they're no longer telling you that they're hurt by it. Yeah. Do you find that your faith helps in that, John? Uh, I think maybe it's helped me understand what forgiveness is. Mm -hmm. um, but, no, I wouldn't claim that. I don't think forgiveness is the dominion purely of, of people with faith. And I think it would be dangerous to say, well, because I have you know, because I have a Christian faith, therefore I know about forgiveness that other people don't. Mm. I, th I think, I think you, you know, you certainly, you know, as we've talked earlier, you know, I'm sure Ricky Gervais is as capable of forgiving people and being forgiven as I am. Mm -hmm. But, yes, I think, for me personally, it probably has helped me understand a little bit more about it. Mm. But you do admire the people... Do you look at people in a situation where you think to yourself, well, how extraordinary that they've managed to forgive? You know, the whole process of the transformation of South Africa, I always thought that was extraordinary, that people involved in that were, you know, Nelson Mandela saying we have to be honest about these things and then forget it yeah. and then forgive people. And it's an amazing thing. The whole yeah. Northern Ireland, I know it still simmers away for some people, but for many people, they were able to put it behind them, which is amazing. Yeah, it is. It, it, in some of those situations, the only way that they'll truly be resolved is when people forgive each other, you know, yeah. both ways. Yes, in, indeed. In fact, I know you said that it doesn't negate punishment, but sometimes you sort of have to let that go. You have to go, yeah. okay, there's no point in punishing people now. It's done. Yeah. And you do read, you know, you read stories of people who've, you know, had their families murdered and then it, it somehow forgiven and become friends with the murderer. You, you hear stories like this. You, I can't get my head around it sometimes. Well, I like to think that people are redeemable. Yes. I really find it hard to accept that somebody is not redeemable. But that's a really difficult thing in life. If you actually look at someone and think, so, do you know what, no matter what anybody does or no matter how we treat you, you're never going to stop being that 
awful, awful person. Yeah. And that's really difficult because you... It, there's no hope, is there? If, no. If, you know, if there's, if there's no chance of redemption and, you know, forgiveness and moving on, then all hope has gone, really. Mm. Not just for that particular person, but for, for all of us, you know, we, you know, as, a, as humanity, as, as a human race, if we can't think, well, we can forgive these people, there, there is a possibility that things could change. And- yeah, so that they can change and that together people can change, that actually we can all learn from things we've made mistakes with or have done wrong in our lives. Yeah. We can learn yeah. from them and not repeat them. Yeah. That's what you hope, isn't it? Yeah, man. Preach it, brother. <laughs> Good man. <laughs> My brother, who's a born-again Christian, will be listening to this because I am an atheist, I have to say. Right. Uh, and- okay, that's fine. God still loves you. <laughs> that's what he says and i said i said not after some of the things i've said about him (laughs) but there you are you see there's a prime example if he is that creature he has that forgiveness in him yeah which is an amazing thing but i've never really understood the concept of hell well do you know what i'm a christian but i find the concept of hell difficult to Mm. to accept and i i sometimes read the bible and think hell was it was more talking about the situation on earth that you create for yourself by living a sinful life. Right. There are certain chapters of the Bible where it talks about, you know, hell being this sort of rubbish tip outside the town, mm. you know, where all the dirt and filth was. So I find it difficult to, the God I believe in, to, to think that he would do that. So, yeah, I'm not a literalist when it comes to the Bible. I think a lot of it is teaching us stuff and stories that help us understand ourselves and god Mm -hmm. and life so i find it very difficult to believe in hell Mm. um and i'm not particularly a christian because i believe i'm going to go to heaven i'm I'm a christian because of how it helps me here on earth yes you know if i died and there was no heaven i wouldn't think well why was i a christian all that time i wouldn't think what a waste i think well i'm still glad i i'm still glad i had that because for me it's the teachings of jesus that i find so strong and believable and even though, as I said, I've messed up a million times, I still like what he taught and who I believe he was. Mm. I don't think the teachings of Jesus could be questioned, really. Yeah. You know, they work perfectly well. They're good. Yeah. But but then if you believe that, then you have the quandary of, well, if he was such a good man and taught these things, did he lie about who he was? Or did people make a mistake? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to judge it. Yeah. No, no, you're right. If I get to heaven, I'm going to look like a bit of a fool, aren't I? Because I've said it's not there all along. Yeah. But also, I I have complete confidence that if I get there and I've been wrong all this time, and I'm then confronted with God, who says to me, hmm, you thought you were clever, didn't you? I think he's going to laugh at me. I don't think he's going to punish me. Yeah, well, we've got laughter and forgiveness in there, and I think they're both qualities of God, so you could be right. Mm, Let's hope. (laughs) Fingers crossed. But I look forward to seeing you there. Yes. I hope I see you before then. (laughs) John, really lovely to talk to you. And you too. I've enjoyed it enormously. Thank you. You're welcome. I've I've enjoyed it. And uh, I do do hope we we bump into each other soon. Come and see Tim when he's on tour. Absolutely. We're touring this year from April, middle of April, all the way through 77 dates. They're all on his website, so you just let me know if you can make any of them. I'll definitely be there. We'll make it happen. Fantastic. I look forward to seeing you then. Take care. Bless you. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, John Archer. Thanks for your support. 
You're all going to heaven, I promise. I hope you've had a good time and are all happy to listen to some more of my conversations with various people, some very famous, some not so famous, but all with amazing stories to tell about the choices they've made for the things they want in a time capsule. Yeah, I'm just pointlessly explaining the concept of this podcast again, in case after listening to it, you still haven't quite got it. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your pods. Please do take a moment to rate us, and you may even feel inspired to write a review or a pleasant comment to tell newcomers that it's worth their time listening. Thanks. My Time Capsule and I, sorry, me, I'm not Nadine Dorries, look it up on Twitter, are both on that social media site. We're also on Instagram and Facebook if you want to follow us. It's certainly the best way to get in touch if you have any thoughts or suggestions for guests or just fancy saying hello. The theme tune, written and performed by Pass the Peas Music, is available anytime on Spotify without me talking all over it. Acast Plus subscribers to this podcast get it ad-free, as I said earlier. Sorry, I'm just blatantly pushing it, as it helps John and I, sorry, is that me, to have some idea of how much we might be guaranteed to make from doing this thing, which is virtually a full-time job, which is particularly useful for him with three young children and a massive coke habit. That's obviously not true. He's only got two children, five and eight. Strange names, but we like them. Yeah, thanks to Ed Byrne for that slightly rewritten joke. Anyway, this is a cast-off production for Acast, which will finish very soon, I promise, and it was produced by John Fenton Stevens, better known as the Snowplow. Keep well and stay happy if you can, and as an even better party trick, stay young, if only at heart. And always be good to your children. Remember, they're the people who choose your nursing home. Indeed, as Stuart Mitchell says, why is it old people say there's no place like home? Because when you put them in one... Bye. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.